I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning to you. It is 8.30 on Friday, July 21st. I'm Jay White, and for Desiree Frazier, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a federal policy to forgive student debt will soon take effect in Mississippi. Also in education news, the school year is starting early for some students under a modified calendar with support by the state legislature. Plus, businesses will soon meet with experts in law enforcement to better understand, identify, and report human trafficking. That's all coming up this morning on Mississippi Edition, right here on MPB Think Radio. Nearly 9,500 Mississippians will see their student loans automatically discharged in the coming weeks. That's a result of how the federal government is reworking their payment plans. Income-driven repayment plans were established by the Department of Education in the 1990s and based payments on monthly income for a period of 20 to 25 years. After that, the remaining balance is supposed to be discharged. That 20-year threshold began to be met by folks a few years ago, but for many people, the payment cutoffs were not happening. Our Will Stribling speaks with Brian Denton, officer of the Pew Charitable Trust Student Loan Initiative. So the forgiveness that's starting to go out because of income-driven repayment is the result of an action the department announced last year that came from an investigation that the Government Accountability Office did into how IDR payments were being tracked over time, um, uncovering that a lot of payments were being inaccurately tracked, lost, or just in general, um, not really connecting with where borrowers' actual repayment histories were. So to back up for a second there as well, um, this forgiveness mechanism through IDR is kind of an inherent part of income-driven repayment plans. So IDR or income-driven repayment refers to a suite of repayment plans for federal student loans that generate more affordable payments by tying borrowers' incomes to their monthly payment, usually about 10% uh, of their discretionary income, though that is going to be changing with the new plan rolling out. Um, And for borrowers with low enough incomes, their, their monthly payments can be as low as $0. But another really large benefit of these plans um, is that they do provide an off-ramp for folks who have held their debt for a very long time. And so for the most recent plan is one example, borrowers with undergraduate loans receive forgiveness on their outstanding balance after 20 years of qualifying payments, going all the way up to 25 years for borrowers with graduate loans. So that's a really significant benefit in theory, and I think a really unique one that other repayment plans don't have. Um, but I think because of a couple factors, we hadn't really seen folks start approaching that IDR forgiveness threshold until the past, you know, 
five or however many years here. So it hadn't really been a problem yet uh, because the first of these plans was created in the 1990s and there have been ones added since then, but because there, are this, there is this like 20 to 25 year requirement, um, a lot of folks until recently hadn't start, started approaching that window. So because of that, we didn't know until the GAO report started uncovering this and other organizations started to do more work around it as well, that there actually was a significant issue here in terms of how progress towards that forgiveness point was being tracked. I think there's a handful of different possibilities for why that's the case, uh, but the GAO report indicates that at a very high level, there were some pretty significant gaps in how the Department of Education and servicers were collecting data related to IDR payments, which kind of created a hole for folks to slip through, and um, that uh, in some cases was, lead was leading to folks not getting the forgiveness that they really deserved after making years of payments. and. Um, in some cases, folks were not um, having just accurately tracked progress in general. So the or we think that the action announced by the department this week is a really significant step for, I think, rectifying that broken trust and making sure that for borrowers who are repaying an IDR, which is a really, I think, significant program for helping make sure payments are affordable, that borrowers can trust that they will be able to have access to all the different benefits in that plan, including the forgiveness part of it, as that is a really, I think, important thing for a lot of people. You already brought up the new IDR plan, which I wanted to get to because it's major. Like people yeah. need to focus on just the blanket forgiveness that President Biden wanted to get through. But but this policy is a big deal, not just because of it cutting that discretionary income uh, percentage from 10 to 5, but that it, as long as payers stay current, interest won't accrue. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so just starting off with the balance growth issue, um, totally, that's a really important part of this new plan design that we think based on our research really will help a lot of borrowers. Um, a few years ago, we did a series of focus groups with folks across the country, and this issue of balance growth in student loans really came up quite often. So whether it was because of IDR or other interactions with the repayment system, um, when people were oftentimes struggling to make student loan payments, but still seeing their balances increase month over month, it really kind of created this effect of discouraging them, I think, to stay engaged with the repayment system, with their servicer, because for some folks it felt like, you know, why even bother if I'm not seeing any progress towards payoff? So this new repayment plan, which is called the SAVE plan uh, that's announced by the administration uh, earlier this year, I think will make really significant strides towards addressing that issue by making sure that as long as someone is making an on-time monthly payment, that they will not see their balance increase every month, which I think is really significant. Along with that, too, in terms of folks who have you know low balances, not very high balances like you see with some borrowers, there's a shortened repayment term in the new SAVE IDR plan, which I think is really significant too. So for the current IDR plans, it's 20 or 25 years until you reach that forgiveness threshold. But for the save plan, if you have $12,000 in debt or less, uh, that forgiveness window is shortened to just 10 years. The effect of that is going to be that for low balance borrowers who might not have completed their educational program or maybe struggling with other factors, they will see that light at the end of the tunnel a lot sooner than, um, than borrowers would under current IDR plans. And then along with that too, um, while IDR payments are typically more affordable for borrowers than payments in the standard plan, we know from our research and surveys and focus groups that those payments from IDR still were unaffordable for some borrowers. And so in addition to decreasing the share of discretionary income from 10 to 5%, 
the department's also raising the floor for what percentage of someone's income is used to calculate their payment in the first place. For borrowers right now who make about $21,000 or less, they see a $0 payment on their IDR plan. What the department's doing with this new plan is raising that floor to 225% of the federal poverty line. So the borrowers making about $32,000 or less will see $0 payments now, which we think, again, because of low-income folks being the ones who are most impacted by that, is going to do a lot for getting people engaged with the repayment system, particularly as um, the restart is coming and people really aren't in the habit or may not have the resources set aside to make monthly student loan payments for very low income borrowers that $0 payment really will be a lifeline. And uh, the final thing I'll say there as well is it's going to be kind of a, a bifurcated rollout of the plan over time. So the full implementation of save won't be in place until sometime in summer 2024. But the provisions that will raise the floor on how many low-income borrowers can make $0 payments and also protect against balance growth will be available um, sometime this summer still before repayments restart. If your payment is, is $0, does that still prevent the, the interest from accruing? It's a great question. So as long as you are making and going into your account and affirmatively making that $0 payment every month, you will not see your balance increase. won't go down. You at least won't see it go up. Brian Denton is an officer with the Pew Charitable Trust Student Loan Initiative. Coming up, many schools across Mississippi are returning to classrooms this month on a modified calendar. My kids are bummed about it, but some teachers are very excited. Hear why coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, host of the original Southern Remedy, the show where I answer your medical questions. Subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on any podcasting app. cool kids wearing nowadays a bucket hat and fanny pack i meant to say a belt bag that's the 21st century name for it you can get this mpb branded swag package by making a one-time 60 dollars contribution you'll also receive a year of pbs passport to stream new and classic shows a mix of current and classic that's mississippi public broadcasting make a contribution today at mpbonline.org This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. And for Desiree Frazier, I'm Jay White. Good morning to you. A growing number of school districts throughout the state are adopting a modified calendar. Instead of attending class for 180 days with a few small breaks with a significant summer break in between grades, students will have a mid-size break or mid-size breaks spread throughout the school year. Our Lacey Alexander speaks with Robert Chapman, spokesperson for the Clinton Public School District. He says Clinton made the change recently to help teachers and students. And so we kept saying, how can we do things differently? We've done the virtual uh, experience, great benefit from our one-to-one initiative that we put in in, um, in action uh, right at a decade ago. What can we do more to kind of make our teachers feel a little more valued and also not so stressed out? So we said, okay, well, there are a few partners around the state, other school districts, uh, who do this modified calendar, and we've heard positive things from it. Uh, let's explore that. So, so our superintendent and our school board talked to other superintendents and other school boards across the state uh, about how it was implemented, what kind of feedback they, they received, what kind of pushback they received, and then could they tell any kind of real difference inside the classroom, both on the teacher side and on uh, the student side. And 
Well, what we got were uh, anecdotal pieces of evidence that teachers felt did feel less burned out. They they enjoyed getting to go back after those little extended breaks to issue remediation and other forms of, of encouragement to students who could use enrichment or, you know, they could be challenged a little bit more. If anybody ever does this, the best thing you need to do is to check with those who take care of your kids after school lets out. We talked to all of the um, daycares here in Clinton, and we asked them, if this were to go into effect, how would it affect your business model? Would you be able to sustain what we're asking of you? And evidently, eventually, would you even be um, in favor of it? Well, we, we, we met with them face-to-face, and overwhelmingly, they all said, yes, if you put this into place, we understand the reasons you would do it. And we also understand the need that you would have from, from us, and ultimately, we would be able to meet that need. So we knew that the daycares are on board. Uh, we knew that the other school districts who implemented this, they've had positive aspects from it. So we went to our teachers and asked them, and the teachers were very much in favor. We did a survey across the entire district, and 84% of our teachers were in favor of exploring and implementing this new schedule. So because we had the buy-in from the employees, we had the buy-in and the support from the aftercare, after-school care facilities, uh, we, we sent a, a survey out to our parents. Their input was extremely important. Uh, and then we got received back from them over 70% of uh, positive support. If you know anything, if you keep up with politics, you'll know that if you win anything by 70%, you are on the good route up. So 70% of parents, 84% of our school teachers. So we said, you know what, let's present a calendar. Let's move forward with this and see if it works this year. So if it works this year, then we'll explore it again for the next year. But if it doesn't work, then we'll explore going back to the traditional calendar. Um, but having that buy-in from the parents, having that buy-in from the, the teachers and the employees was of the utmost importance. Because if they don't buy in, then this is not going to work. While we're in the midst of this really great conversation, can you educate our listeners? Obviously, you guys are coming in earlier than usual, like you said, in the July month. But what other changes will come with this new calendar? First of all, what is not changing, all the students are uh, by law required to go to school for 180 days. Teachers are required uh, to work for 187 days. So they did 180 days with the students, seven days of professional development. It's sprinkled through the, through the uh, school year. Um, so what's not changing is the number of days students are going to school. What we've essentially done is we have borrowed 10 days from the summer and we have moved them into uh, the school year. So what we'll be changing, though, is the length uh, of our fall break and our spring break. So uh, traditionally, we've had two days of fall break. We borrowed a handful of days uh, to have a five-day fall break, and then the next week will also be off, um, and that will be what we're calling our aero session. It's an intercession where we can offer enrichment to students who need enrichment, remediation to students who need a remediation. And students who don't need either of those, they need a nice break. They get, they get the benefit of having 10 school days, two weeks off, and they get to experience that twice, once in the fall and once in the spring. So the only real massive change is we're starting two weeks early because we're borrowing those two weeks uh, and then uh, sprinkling them in through the school year so that we, we can have those extra breaks. If you look at the calendar, 50% of it doesn't change. Uh, when we start back the second nine weeks in October and we go all the way through spring break, that, that chunk right there, none of that's different. There's still one week 
of Thanksgiving break. There's still two weeks of Christmas and winter holidays. Uh, we still observe uh, Labor Day. We still observe President's Day. We still observe Martin Luther King Day. Uh, we, and we, we still have all of those right there to, to where we're not taking away from any already established school holidays. We are adding more breaks within because we are borrowing those from the summer. Awesome. Robert, my last big question for you. You said that a lot is staying the same, which is good. You said the changes that are coming will also be good. You say that everyone seems supportive. What, if any, do you foresee being a big challenge with this change? I think with any change, it's just implementing the change. We've, over the last four years, last three to four years, everybody's experienced a lot of change. The The academics are still going to stay the same. Um, the only ones that won't necessarily get the benefit of having those days off and those extended breaks are those that are participating in any kind of competing activity, like um, any of our show choirs or any of our athletic uh, groups that are in season. But the hardest part is just going to just wrap your head around starting school in July. Uh, it, it's, it's the same hot as it is in August, so it's not even the heat, but starting school in July where sits in your brain a little bit differently than saying, yes, we're starting school in August. But last year, we started the first week of August, and it's just two weeks from now. This is not year-round school. It's still the 180 days. We're not adding any more to it. We're just trying to take a different approach to see if we can continue to inspire our students to learn uh, while also not burning them out as much as, as we have. Robert Chapman, Public Information Officer for the Clinton Public School District, thank you so much. Thank you. Coming up, businesses are meeting in Jackson next week to discuss how they can help stop human trafficking. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The work week ends with local programs on MPB Think Radio. At 9, all aspects of gardening are discussed on the Gestalt Gardener. Next Stop Mississippi highlights events taking place around the state at 10. At 11, explore women's health on Southern Remedy for Women. cool kids wearing nowadays a bucket hat and fanny pack i meant to say a belt bag that's the 21st century name for it you can get this mpb branded swag package by making a one-time 60 dollars contribution you'll also receive a year of pbs passport to stream new and classic shows a mix of current and classic that's mississippi public broadcasting make a contribution today at mpbonline.org This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. And for Desiree Frazier, I'm Jay White. Experts on human trafficking are preparing for a conference Monday where they'll discuss the signs of trafficking, how to report it, and how it can be dangerous. This will be the second annual Mississippi Business Businesses Against Trafficking Summit and is being hosted in partnership between the Secretary of State, Department of Health, Department of Public Safety, and other advocates for human rights. Our Kobe Vance speaks with Secretary of State Michael Watson about the unique roles businesses can play in helping to stop trafficking. The news is getting out, the word's getting around, that this is something that's really important uh, that we train all Mississippians on. Uh, but then that clearly is focused on our business community and your employees. So what you're going to see with this next one is we'll do a uh, labor trafficking 101 and then kind of a case study showing exactly what, what that is. Dr. Hurst and Dr. Hogan with USM, who do a phenomenal job. Uh, we'll do sex trafficking 101 and sextortion. 
and uh, that'll be Ashley Lucas with NBI. And then we've got a powerful testimony from Brian Montgomery, who lost his son. Uh, that'll be on as well. And then uh, our victim services resources from the Department of Health. So those will all be talking at the summit. And again, it's uh, just powerful uh, to share this information and uh, really important life-saving information here. What is the business side of that? How do businesses get involved in helping identify human trafficking or sex trafficking? Yeah, great question. And so we started MBAT, Mississippi Businesses Against Trafficking, in the office there. And it's basically designed for our businesses all across the state uh, to sign in and, and partner with us through that. They get training equipment and materials uh, to help train their employees. And so, the, again, the idea goes to the more folks who understand what labor trafficking is, what sex trafficking is, just human trafficking in general, uh, they want to understand what the signs are, what to look for, uh, just to be aware in their communities and their everyday lives. Can you give us an example of how businesses can be on the lookout for human trafficking? And like you mentioned earlier, there are some differences between sex trafficking, which is probably the most well-known, but also labor trafficking. That's exactly right. A lot of folks, I hate to say flashy, but people kind of see that and they understand that on the sex trafficking side, whereas on the labor side, you know, it doesn't draw as much attention, but just as important uh, to make sure that these folks are are seen and rescued out of labor trafficking as well. So we've got, uh, you know, different uh, modules that you can do with the training. Uh, If you see somebody at at a hotel who uh, keeps their eyes down and, and they've got somebody with them that's kind of looks like they're exerting some type of control or uh, just the different signs you can see. Again, that's just one. Uh, there's a universal kind of sign for help when you uh, put your, your thumb down and roll your fingers over it. Uh, it's kind of like a fist with the, with the thumb and the, the hand. Uh, different things that you can look for like that. And uh, you know, what are the instances where I may be around something where it typically happens? Uh, again, you would think uh, hotels or uh, massage uh, you know, parlors or, or things like that. Uh, but we, we have, when we launched it, we had the Mississippi Braves there. And sometimes people don't think, you know, it could happen at a, at a baseball game or it could happen at a fair. It could happen at, you know, there's a lot of conversations about the Super Bowl and uh, big events, big sporting events like that, where a lot of folks set up uh, sting operations for trafficking. So it happens everywhere. And our goal is really just to educate Mississippians, just to be aware, no matter where you are. Have y'all seen any successes with this, having businesses partner with law enforcement to be able to identify sex trafficking or human trafficking of any kind? We have. We've had people reach out to our office uh, with you know kind of questionable scenarios, and we've been able to forward those to NBI. Uh, and then NBI does their investigations. We'll talk about specific instances. But uh, not only that, but you talk about our summits, you know, with the Department of Health being there. They've been able to follow up with attendees uh, to help them with connections and resources in their communities. Uh, again, it's... Not just that, but also just the knowledge that we can share and train and teach. Uh, The more of us that are out there that can see it, that can recognize it, that can then afford the information over law enforcement, uh, the the better we'll be with this fight uh, to human trafficking. I think it's uh, simple to understand the individual side of uh, labor trafficking and why it's important to help those individuals. But I can imagine that it would also be in the business's best interest to be on the watch out for labor trafficking so they can ensure that they're you know, having a safe environment for not just their employees but also their customers. Uh, 100%. Look, being a good corporate citizen uh, is following the laws and also wanting your employees uh, to have great successful careers and uh, protecting all of them, uh, not just uh, you know the ones that may be uh, over-trafficked, uh, but others as well. And, and many times, you know, you, sometimes you see these larger 
corporations that may have subcontractors uh, that try to take advantage of, of labor trafficking and they're not may not be quite aware of it. Uh, so that's where we see MBAC kind of coming in to really be a great tool in the business community to teach not only the employees but also the owners and uh, the folks who are running those companies. Uh, look, these are the signs you need to look for, and maybe you haven't seen it yet, but if you do, uh, you will know what it looks like and know who to report that to. Secretary of State Michael Watson, thank you so much for talking with us today. You're welcome, Sam. Have a great day. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB News on MPB Think Radio.